You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. going on guys this is dewey from peer pleasure and i want to tell you about our newest sponsor DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms they are an amazing company i've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks and they're going to be with us for a while and i really really appreciate that i love working with great companies and DistroKid is one of them uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called splits now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? 
That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. PeerPleasure.SupportingCast.FM is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. 
What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, with your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. Guys, this week we are going way back to another interview uh, that I lost. Well, I didn't lose it, but I misplaced it when I switched hard drives. So this one took place a while ago as well. Uh, this one is with Mr. Mitch Wilson from the band No Knife. Uh, no Knife is a band I was turned on to by the guys in Thrice uh, back when Fire in the City of Automatons came out. I picked it up on vinyl. It's one of the first, I think it might be the first record I ever went to Second Avenue Records and bought on vinyl, um, just off the recommendation. And Jesus Christ, guys, it was an amazing record, still is to this day, one of my favorites. Uh, if you go listen to The Spy, that's a song I have countless times told Ed and the guys in Thrice and Tepe and and everybody multiple times you guys need to cover this song uh it's the perfect mix it's it's it'd be absolutely phenomenal if they did that but who knows anyways I digress but uh Mitch Wilson came on the show uh this one was done about probably close to a year ago um and I really respect that band and what they did and you know they're still doing things here and there um He's also got some art stuff he does as well as photography and, uh, yeah, just a cool guy. So it was cool to pick his brain a little bit about how No Knife came about, um, the super percussive guitar style, uh, songwriting, and just uh, their overall legacy. It was a really cool one to do. Um, so big thanks to Mitch for coming on and my sincerest apologies for misplacing this interview and not putting it out sooner. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's coming out now. So we are well into week two of the Daily Dose of Peer Pleasure episodes. That's where we're doing an episode every day, Monday through Friday, for the whole uh, two weeks of February 2020. So, uh, yeah, let's go uh, so some business here. PeerPleasurePodcast.com is the website. Uh, PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the way to get a hold of me if you have any guest suggestions, comments, questions, anything like that. Uh, I've been getting a lot of feedback from these episodes coming out every day. Uh, I think people have been stoked on it. So uh, yeah, thanks for reaching out. And it's a lot of work to do <laughs> 10 episodes in two weeks, but we're making it happen. And uh, yeah, we're getting her done. So uh, without further ado, guys, let's get into my conversation with Mitch Wilson from No Knife.
Hey, Mitch. Dewey. How are you, bud? Good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. You hear me okay? Yeah. I hear you just fine. Oh, good. That's awesome. So you're calling from a studio then? <clears throat> yeah. So we'll just we'll just record it into Pro Tools, and then I'll just send you the files so you can so it'll sound better than my phone. I get really bad service in here. So. Oh, no problem at all, man. Well, Mitch Wilson, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm stoked to have you, man. I I uh, huge fan of No Knife and and. Um, it goes back a long ways. I think you guys. I think Fire in the City Automatons was the first album I ever bought on vinyl. Um, oh, nice! And it was rant. It was. It was. Um, I don't know if you know the guys in Thrice, um, but they're huge fans of No Knife. And I used to when I was eighteen, nineteen. They used to have a um, a blog that they would put on whatever they were listening to at the time, like uh-huh. book, or reading. And and Dustin kept putting on fire in the city of automatons and i was like man i gotta check this record out so i went to second avenue records here in portland and uh they had it on vinyl one copy on vinyl and i was like well i'm gonna check this out before i'd even heard it and uh took it home and put it on and it's been in my wheelhouse ever since like that (laughs) that was my introduction to no knife Um, thanks and thanks thrice yeah (laughs) uh, we've met them we've met them once before and i met ed uh, a couple of times Okay. And uh, yeah, they've always they've 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 done so much to kind of put our names out there. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, they uh, we were just actually talking about it the other day. I told Ed I was having you on, and and um, he I told him that Thrice needs to cover the Spy, and Ooh. it would be so good. And he's like, dude, I've been pushing for that for so long, <laughs> and the Red Bedroom as well, and it just hasn't happened yet. And I was like, dude, those are two perfect songs for you guys to cover and uh he's like trust me that's that's <laughs> that's in my plan but it hasn't happened yet but anyways we we're yeah we're i just going back and forth that'd be rad but uh yeah yeah anyways so since the bay i've i've not gotten the chance to see you guys live um it's just been the music that's been really special to me over the years i don't know anything about you and so that's why I wanted to have you on the show, kind of get your story and and where you come from, and and uh, have a chat about that. Okay. Uh, shit, where do I start? <laughs> I'm Mitch. I'm five foot eleven, uh, brown hair, <laughs> fair skin, um, bad teeth, shitty sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I grew up. I grew up in San Diego. Lived here my whole life, except for little bit i lived in fort worth texas when um when i was like six to ten or something like that so i don't remember anything about it but uh i don't know started playing in bands when i was 15 i think my first band was called sub society and like uh it wasn't a real band it was like my brother was playing his guitar through the stereo uh you know when they had the tape players and if you press that tab at the top you can make it record well we figured out how to play a guitar through the stereo so he would play the guitar through the stereo and uh this guy dda was playing drums on an upside down coffee can you know that sort of thing and i don't know i, I was in that for just a couple of minutes until i started singing for this actual band who were called violent boy scouts violent boy scouts <laughs> yeah and uh yeah and it went through a couple of name changes and all that stuff but uh 
I, I, I would just basically show up and the guitar player had written all the words and everything. And I would just, you know, hop up and down and yell into the microphone. <laughs> but I, I didn't really want to, I, I found out through that, that I didn't re- really want to be the singer. I'd rather play guitar. So I'd pick up guitar during their, you know, during downtime at practice and stuff. Okay. And, uh, this band that we used to play with all the time called Funeral March, uh, they were kind of this kind of horror rock, you know, misfits type band. And they said they were looking for a second guitar player. And I had no idea how to play guitar, but I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So Perfect. the bass player kind of taught me how to play guitar. I've been playing bass for a little bit, but uh, I think within a month of me starting in that band, we opened up for Agnostic Front and RKL. Oh, wow. And uh, I didn't even know how to tune a guitar yet. So the bass player would have to come over in between songs and tune my guitar. It was it was nerve-wracking, but it was super fun. And I, I guess that's the way I've lived my life ever since. I just kind of jump into things. So, wow. yeah. And then uh, the other guys in the band, like Chris is... Chris, the drummer, the the later drummer, um, I grew up with him. He was in Fishwife and Tanner and a whole bunch of San Diego bands. And uh, our first guitar player, Aaron, was from Florida. And then Ike was our first drummer, and he was from San Dimas. I think he played in bands like Mother Fist and Love Canal and you know, shit like that. Okay. So, And then Ryan, the the current guitar player um i met him when i was working at this place called the fish market and we were um parking lot attendants (laughs) he gave me a tape and then when our when our first guitar player had to skip town suddenly um we had him come on board and he was great and so strange and he was just i think he was 19 years old at the time and all the rest of us were like mid-20s 24 25 okay and then brian and then brian's from new jersey and he came out here with a whole bunch of other people from new jersey to surf but uh he was a friend of ike's and they came to my birthday party one year and ike's like he's gonna play bass and he didn't really know how to play bass and i was like that's cool i don't really know how to play guitar so (laughs) let's do it so that's kind of how it started i think that was 1993 Wow. Something like that. Okay. And then we put out our we put out our first we put out a couple we put out a seven inch and then a split seven inch with Tanner. And then we put out our first record in ninety five, which okay. was Drunk on the Moon. Okay. And so, that was before then, Hitman Dreams and then Yeah, it was it was uh, Drunk on the Moon, then Hitman, then Fire, and then Riot was Man. the last one. Okay. So so we lasted from 93 to 2003. Okay. And then you've done some reunion stuff here and there. Yeah. You actually um, have something coming up, don't you? Yeah. We are um, we got asked to play uh, opening for Jawbox up in L.A. Oh, wow. In July. I think it's July 14th. And then uh, Tim Mays, the guy that owns the Casbah down here, mm-hmm. and who, who, you know, he's just the greatest we love that club and Tim and he's so cool to bands and all that stuff. So he just kind of, he kind of passed along a message that they wanted us to open one of the shows and we're like, okay, but then, uh, I guess we're going to, we're going to play on a Monday night 
with Rob Crow opening up for us the next night, so July 15th. Wow, okay. I know Ed, Ed was talking about being bummed out because they're going to be on tour. He's not going to be able to see it. <laughs> Who is? Uh, Eddie from Thrice. He was he was talking oh. about it like, dude, seriously. <laughs> oh, where are they going to be? Oh, probably the Philippines or something. I don't know. They're, they're going right. to be all over the place. But, yeah. Right. Oh, man. Well, so, yeah, that, that means we have to uh, learn all our songs again, yeah. <laughs> or at least a collection of them. There's some that we can't even touch because we just – we tried weird tunings and weird chords and half of the chords were accidental. Like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. So, and now we can't remember <laughs> the fuck are we doing? <laughs> so. Well, that brings me to one really, one really interesting thing about uh, the guitars in no knife was they're super percussive. Um, mm-hmm. Very, it, it's almost seems it, it, that makes sense to me. If you didn't have like a proper training on guitar, I'm just kind of figuring it out as you go. Like having I, I would always have ideas. Drum, I, I'm not a drummer, but I'm a guitar player. But I would always have drum ideas, and I'd have to like yeah. sing them to the drummer. But if you're navigating this instrument, trying to write songs, it makes sense that that you would kind of bring that kind of feel to it. It it's a really unique thing to no knife that that really stuck stuck out because it's very, I mean, you almost get the, in a lot of the intros, like you get the, the rhythm before the drums even kick in just because you got that really like, uh, it's like, like a frantic kind of percussive feel. And that's something uh-huh. that, that is, I love it. I love it. It's Dang. absolutely awesome. And it's something you don't hear very often. You know what I mean? It's, it's fairly unique. And, and I mean, is that, was that like a, Am I right on track here with that was kind of what happened from learning guitar without knowing guitar, or is that something that you were really going for? I think it's just a simple matter of, um, especially with the earlier stuff, it was just sitting around playing and trying to make the song, but without any of the other instruments, you're kind of trying to fill that whole space, maybe. so. And also, like some of the drum beats, you know, were you're thinking them up as you're doing it as well. So, but also like a, you know, big early influences were like a couple of the other local bands in San Diego, which pitchfork and which later kind of became Jehu Mm -hmm. and then, and then a miniature. So a lot of that was just kind of listening to that stuff and, just going like holy shit and then and then copying it very poorly (laughs) (laughs) so i guess that's a blessing too go ahead and copy especially if you're shitty at it so yeah so what does it say uh uh imitations the sincerest form of flattery right right but but if you do it wrong and backwards (laughs) and everything like that Voila, it's your own style. Exactly. <laughs> you have Nirvana and Fugazi and No Knife. It's, right. It's awesome. Right. Well, so you, I mean, you grew up, you came up in a, in a pretty, I mean, San Diego is a pretty crazy music scene. I mean, there's so many styles of music that came from San yeah. Diego. And, and uh, I mean, everything from, I, I worked with some guys um, at a venue up here from Antioch Arrow. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Justin Pearson's a friend of mine that, uh, it's played in what I don't know twenty bands down there, like oh, all yeah. different kinds of music. It's yeah. just like a hotbed for just crazy experimental radness, I guess is the word I could say. And uh, 
that's one thing with with you guys that was I mean there is so much melody and uh, I, I have a hard time putting my head around that you guys didn't know what you were doing because it seemed like very well put together. I mean, everything was there. It was firing on all cylinders. I mean, the songwriting was great. And like I was saying, with the, the percussive guitars absolutely drew me in as well. And it, I think that was the initial thing hearing No Knife was when that, that kind of style came in, I wasn't familiar with it. So that must have been what really grabbed me because it was it was instantly like I knew before the song even hit like where it was going to at least start with the you know where it would go was anyone's guess but I knew I was already into it before everything even kicked in and that was uh and I have <coughs> excuse me I have uh uh fire on my my uh, Apple Music so uh-huh. when I plug my phone into my car it automatically goes to Academy Fight Song, and it has. I hate that about Apple Music. It has for. <laughs> I mean, that's good, but. 2010. Since 2010, every time I start my car, that intro comes in. I'm sorry. Every day, early in the morning for work, going to the store, it's hilarious because I've heard that that intro so many times. Because I'll usually, if I'm not for listening to, the, to Academy Fight Song. Oh, okay, okay. So. Every time for what nine years now, it's it's come on and it takes me. You know, I'm adjusting. You know, the seatbelt, um, getting on to where I'm going before I change it to if I'm going to change it to something. So I always that that is one of the most prominent things in my mind is the intro to Academy Fight Song, <laughs> which in turn was the first vinyl I heard that was not Paula Abdul or whatever my dad had at a radio station when I was a kid. Right, um, right. To where I really got that warm vinyl sound, and uh, so yeah, so many things tie back to that. But how was growing up in San Diego with with all that? I mean, that music. I mean, was there certain things that you gravitated towards uh, versus others, or did you kind of just take it all in? Um, there. Have you ever seen uh, somebody just put out uh, a movie about it called "It's Gonna Blow"? I have not. Um. This guy, Bill, put this movie together, and it's called It's Gonna Blow, and I think it's on Amazon Prime now okay. or something like that, but it's it's basically – it does a really, really good job of covering the San Diego scene from, like, the mid-'80s to the mid-'90s or something. But when I was 16, 17 years old, um, there weren't really any many places to play or see bands or hang out or – do anything. So there were a lot of house parties and a lot of people just doing their own thing. And San Diego is also really spread out and we have the most horrible public transportation. So like little pockets like Chula Vista and then Claremont and PB and North County, like they would, they would kind of uh, like bring up their own kind of style and then everybody would get together and play a house show or, you know, some kind of party or something like that. So, so it was a really eclectic mix of stuff. Like there was also a place called the Che Cafe oh, yeah, it was yeah, on the, yeah. the UCFD campus. Mm-hmm. And you could go there and you would see Pitchfork playing with Hair Theater, who were like kind of 60s psych rock kind of stuff, I guess. And uh, Daddy Longlegs, who were just, you know, fretless guitar and kind of funk stuff. And and then Crash Worship, 
who would come in and set the whole place on fire and it was it was a great time so there was a there was a really kind of diverse array of stuff going on here and it kind of seems like San Diego has been like that for just a long time because the the guys you mentioned like JP and you know 31G and all those guys mm-hmm. um they had their own kind of scene and they had their own kind of sound and their own vibe and you know just there was always something great and i think uh Tristessa also lived at 23rd and E and they used to practice in the back garage or something like that. And Tristessa was one of these bands. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. They're like a, they're instrumental, right? They're um, instrumental. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I saw him play at a party at my brother's house and it was supposed to be, uh, was supposed to be playing or something, but these kids just came up and they started playing this instrumental music that reminded me of like old 4AD, like, uh, like felt and diffuse and things like that. And I was like, who is that? And they didn't even have a name yet, but just, just brilliant, amazing, just very diverse stuff. So I feel, I feel really lucky in that respect. Man, I can, I can hear a lot of influence too in, in, in your music. And, and it's just, that's one of the scenes I would love to have grown up in. Uh, you know, I love like there's a couple where I grew up in Alaska, so like I got whatever I could get from whatever record store had it, and it was usually on the stuff on the radio or whatever. You know, uh, looked cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just go find the best album cover. But like, yeah, uh, San yeah, yeah. Diego, I did a lot of that too. Yeah, San Diego and and uh, like the Berkeley, uh, like Gilman era punk scene. I would have loved to to be a part uh-huh. of that too. Versus just mail order which is when we started right. getting into that stuff. But, um, yeah, it, I, I feel like I missed out on so many things musically. I mean, Alaska was great, but, but uh, yeah, musically I missed so many bands and so many things. I felt like I was always playing catch-up with everything, you know. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I missed a lot of uh, the later stuff, too, because uh, as soon as we put out our record, we just toured, 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 toured. So, like, all that the the kids you were mentioning like the Antioch Arrow and you know Swing Kids and the, like that whole genre mm-hmm. we didn't even catch it until way later you know I, I think I saw the Locust open for Rocket from the Crypt in L.A. and that was the first time you know I'd seen any of that stuff but we missed it but going back well done you know yeah. great stuff. <laughs> It's, it's totally, totally diverse and totally different and totally forward thinking. And I don't know. It was great. Yeah. It seems like it's just, everything was just cutting edge. And, and, uh, I remember being told like we, we were, uh, I was in a band called anatomy of a ghost and, um, uh-huh. before Portugal, the man and, uh, they, our boss at this venue we were working at where I worked with Mac man and Aaron Montaigne, um, uh-huh. from Antioch Arrow. Like they, all these screamo bands are coming out and stuff, and they're like, "Dude, you want to hear that started from? Well, check out these bands." And I always saw the posters on the wall, and I never checked them out. Like, uh, what was it Angel Hair and uh, mm-hmm. uh, CSS and the um, the and VSS? Our VSS. I love yeah. the VSS. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so they're like, "You have no idea where this. Like, check this stuff out." And it just opened up a whole world of things, you know, and and uh, new bands to check out and everything else. And it was it was awesome, but. Um, you said you guys you guys went out on tour pretty much right away and just kind of stayed on tour. What was what was the No Knife touring like? 
I mean, that was back before the internet and, uh, well, before the internet was huge and before yeah. probably GPS and everything else. I mean, I love talking about those days because that's when, when we started touring the same thing. Like, no one had cell phones. No mm -hmm. one had, it was Ram McNally and Ram McNally and Walmart parking lots. And, oh, and definitely. Definitely. A lot of stuff like that. And a lot of it was just when you drive into a city, you're just like, well, as you're looking at the city from the freeway, you're like, that area looks pretty run down. That's where we'll head. And then you call and they're, you know, they're, you're a block away from the club. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, we, we did our first record on Goldenrod Records, which was um, uh, Tom Yetto, uh, Todd Swank, and Mark Waters. They put out uh, some things like Boilermaker and I think Click Attack Towie and Dream Up on it? No, I don't. I, but anyways, they, they put out some stuff, but then uh, uh, we signed on to Time Bomb Records and we got some tour support enough to get like a van. <laughs> so um, we just headed out and we stayed out. You know, we'd go out for a month and a half, come back, be home two weeks, go out for a month and a half, come back, be home a week, leave again. And it was, it was really tough at first um, because we didn't know the circuit. We were playing a lot of bars and we'd get to, you know, Eugene, Oregon, and there'd be three people playing pool and then we'd set up and play and, you know, they'd pretty much yell at us like, can you shut up? We're trying to play pool, that, that sort of thing. But, uh, somewhere along the, the way, um, I think a turning point for us was one of the guys at time pump, uh, time bomb, his name was Pete Jaberga. He was friends with this band called the get up kids. Okay. And, uh, they were, still relatively new and they they just had a lock on like basement shows so we did a whole tour of basement shows with the get up kids and uh it was great super enthusiastic and that kind of plugged us in a lot of people time bomb was a subsidiary of bmg so at the time a lot of the kids and the zines and like the people that might enjoy our stuff wouldn't touch us because we were you know on a major label or associated with a major label, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So it, it took a couple of years of just driving back and forth around the country and breaking down and playing for no one and wondering, you know, how we're going to pay our phone bill and things like that. Who was booking but these that, tours? What's that? Who was booking these tours? Was it you or, or someone in the band specifically, or was everyone? Just no, kinda... we, we had a, we had a, an agent out of LA, that booked a couple and then we met um stormy shepherd in oh. boston who was who was hanging out with rock from the crypt who were in town at the same time as we were yeah and uh she was just like hey i'll book tours for you guys and so she did she did some tours for us and it, it ended up going a lot better. <laughs> so this is before leave home booking? This was like just, hey, let me book some shows? No, this is after leave home booking. Oh, this is? Okay. Yeah, leave home was, was uh, before that. And I, they did the best that they could for mm -hmm. a band that had no following, no radio play, no, you know, no anything. Yeah. Really. So, but uh, yeah, after a while we switched to Stormy and she was more plugged into, you know, a lot, a yeah. lot of other bands and things like that. So it, it made it a lot easier. So, man. So I, I remember, I 
I remember those days touring and uh-huh. no playing. And we played a place called Chemo's in uh, San Francisco to literally uh-huh. the bartender, and that was it. The sound guy oh, even yeah. took off, and we literally just played like we would normally. No one came yeah. in. Not even one person came in and got a drink. I mean, on a it was probably like a Thursday night, but that yep. stuff happened all the time. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think I no. I think we played Memphis once, where we showed up and actually got to play. But there have been several times where we showed up and loaded our stuff in, and then they were just like, "Just go home. Don't bother. There's nobody here." <laughs> well, did you advertise the show? Did you put out flyers? Anything? Because we can't. Because we're coming from somewhere else. You know. Yeah. But but yeah, there there were there were several entire tours like that where it was just nobody or people are trying to drag you off the stage (laughs) get out of here what the hell are you playing you know that kind of stuff yeah so damn and playing playing basement shows with the get-up kids uh, right at the beginning that's amazing that's uh, that's an experience in itself it was so they were we learned we learned so, so much stuff from them too and they were so much younger than us but they were like they were like, okay, here, here's a tip. Wear a tour shirt. Every night when you play, wear the same shirt. When you're done, rinse it out with water, rinse it off real good in the sink, and then everybody hangs their shirts out of the, the windows on the side of the van. Yes. So as you're driving to the next town, they're just flapping <laughs> in the breeze to dry off, and then you have it, you know, it's relatively fresh for the next show. Now a good tip. Thanks, guys. We. We used to do the we used to do the uh, we call them family dinners and so basically uh-huh. we, we would go to the dollar store and buy a bunch of canned food and and whatever and uh-huh. uh, we would all buy different things and then when we would stay at someone's house we would combine like oh wait you got mac and cheese and you got tuna or you got sal or uh, chili we'll make chili mac and we'd literally like pool our dollar store crap together to make meals uh, yeah we did the same thing where we threw the stuff out the window and and uh, literally just let it flap. Um, yep. we had those for those four Econolines that have the back windows that just pop open on the bottom, uh-huh. close stuff in there, and and that worked pretty well. <laughs> That's what they had too. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I think we we had a Dodge something. Okay, we used to have a Dodge called that. We call it the Red Roof Inn. It was a red Dodge, and it had those nice Dodge, curved windows in the back where you could kind of tuck your head with a pillow. Which you probably oh, would have died <laughs> if you got an accident. Yeah, you know what? At some point, you're just like. Somebody's got to sleep on the loft, and then somebody's got to drive 95 through the snow through the mountains of Utah. Yes. We just, we've got to get there somehow and just hook your feet on the end of the loft and hope you don't fly out. You know? Exactly. We there had the, some crazy the, times. The under the loft. Did you guys have a trailer, or did you pack all the gear underneath the loft? We, we packed all the gear underneath the loft for a while, and then uh, I, I can't remember which tour it was, but we decided... Oh, we were on tour with uh, two other San Diego bands called Inch and Tune. Uh-huh. And so Tune's van broke right before tour. So they did the entire tour in like an SUV with a trailer on the back. <laughs> and then uh, Inch rented a Winnebago that had like one of those governors on it. So it could only go 55 max. Oh, God, and then yeah. we had our we had our van and it had a loft in the back. And then we got a U-Haul. And then we can put like uh, bedding in the bottom loft mm-hmm. and put a you know put a blanket over it so it, it was dark so people could sleep in the daytime and all that. Yes. So uh, we thought we were just you know living high on the hog, 
But uh, by the end of the tour, June's uh, SUV had blown up. So they ended up in the inch RV and then our van blew up in Seattle. So then all of our stuff ended up in the RV and then I had to stay behind and rent a, you know, one of those little wind stars or, you know, one of those little minivans, meet them in San Francisco, play the last show and then drive back up and get all the, uh, or get the van once it was fixed and then drive it all the way back down by myself. It was funny. Oh my God. We used to call but it. Was all, it was always something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Touring, touring's tough, but I love it too. Yeah. I was always, uh, I don't know how you were when, when you were touring and stuff like that, but I was always the, the last guy to get the good spot. The other guys in the band had a system where we'd be staying at somebody's house and they'd be like, Hey, thanks for having us. And then they'd find a spot, boop, 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 roll all their stuff out. And they're like, that's mine. Yes. And I was always, I was always the last one. So I'd be staying up until four or five in the morning, like drinking and listening to records, talking to them. And then I'd have to go sleep in the laundry room with my, you know, head in the, you know, the cat litter <laughs> box or something. Dude. And then, and then they wondered why I was always sick. Yeah. I, I totally understand what you're talking about. And it's something I've talked about with my folks and stuff like that, where, when you're a touring musician, you get so good at, well, I did anyways, getting good at leaving things behind as far as like not committing to much. Like I, mm -hmm. all the stuff I owned was in a suitcase. Like if I mm -hmm. needed to leave and I couldn't fit it all, I'd just leave it there and just be gone. Yeah. It didn't bother me. But Bye. <laughs> I would always, it was, I called it nesting because you'd get to someone's house or a hotel with 10 people in it in one room and you would find your spot plug in whatever you need to charge or or whatever yeah. and roll your stuff out exactly like you're saying we would do the yeah. same thing but we would always have one person stay in the van in case someone was trying to break in or whatever so yeah we did that too that was a rotation but we used to call the yeah. underloft the womb because it would all you heard was the road noise and the hum on the on the wheels and it would kind uh -huh. of lull you into sleep like you could sleep for yeah. 10 hours no problem down there oh so good it was so the best good sleep i love ever that have. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it was it was really really nice because Man. I always I always did the night drives too. So in the daytime, I would get to just relax in the loft and fall asleep. Finally, oh so. yeah, yeah. We Man, I don't think I could do that anymore. I'm almost fifty now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I could hang. You need the com so. comfy mattress. You couldn't. You can't sleep on a staircase anymore. Right? Like it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Comfortable mattress, we go nice through. pillow, um, an eye mask, some earplugs. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the whole the whole kit and caboodle. I think we had we had a futon mattress down there, a couple blankets. I think John had a deer skull down there that he brought from the woods somewhere <laughs> down there, and then yeah. like we started, they all they were all artists, so they started drawing all over the van inside, and so everything had like every air vent had something around it that was making it look like it was something else, and. It was just this crazy little place, but it was ours, you know? Like, it was always, yeah. it was home. It's like a room. little mini hangout room. Exactly. Because you guys the did the, the van. You guys did the Walmart parking lots as well? Um, we did just side of the street, like dirt oh, lot, anywhere dangerous. we could. <laughs> but you mentioned the, the, the deer head. Yeah. Um, we, we had just bought a new van um, because our old van blew up, so we traded it in and got something else. But we didn't have time to put a loft in it, and we got uh, we were opening for social distortion. So Whoa. it was social distortion and degeneration, and then 
us. And uh, so we had to have, we had to have like a crew guy and then we had to have like a merch guy Mm -hmm. and then four guys in the band. So we would be driving. And I think, I think it was like in Arizona or one of the first stops I found these bullhorns, you know, the mounted oh, bullhorns. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're like steer horns. So I was like, oh, we've got to get these for Stymie to bring these back to the live wire bar to put them up behind the bar or something like that. So I bought it and everybody hated me because we had to sleep on the equipment anyways because we hadn't built a loft or anything like that. So it was pretty lumpy, but right in the middle of it all were these steer horns. I don't think it even made it back. Somebody finally just threw it out, you know, driving down the street. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Sorry. So, and those were those uh, social distortion and degeneration. They both had buses. Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess the the protocol is you load in at two or whatever. The bus driver goes to sleep. Um, you go eat your food and then you play your show and then you get back on the bus and then the driver drives all night. And so the the dates were so scattered they'd be you know ten fifteen hour drives to the next spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would have to do the show. And then load up the van and then just start driving <laughs> all night and then get there the next day and then play the show and then drive. You know, we didn't have a driver. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was a strenuous tour. Dude, that's a grueling haul. Those, yeah, those bus routed tours are insane. Those professional <laughs> drivers. Yeah. I'll sleep all day and drive all night. Yeah. The, yeah. Dude. Yeah. This is, this is bringing back memories, man. <laughs> I know. Have you ever done, have you ever done a tour on a bus? No, no, I yeah, haven't. Me, I haven't. Me neither. I, I've done it all in vans. We had, we had, well, we had like miniature versions of them or whatever in Europe and stuff. But like the 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 sprinter vans. Yeah, the the most. Uh, yeah, we had the the fifteen passenger Ford, mm-hmm. and then we had the fifteen passenger Dodge, and uh, yeah, ran both those. Things. We left. We left for a tour from Portland, Oregon, a full U.S. with uh-huh. our brakes grinding and no ta- uh-huh. no tags. And we were like, fuck, we got to go, man. We got to go. We can't have time to fix this. And we did Mm -hmm. an entire U.S. with, like, metal on metal brakes and no tags. And we're like, well, they just won't look past the trailer. We used to have to. And you made it? Yeah, we made it. It Wait, with a trailer? With a trailer. Holy shit. Every time we stopped, it would just go all the way down. It was just, it was nuts. And, uh, yeah, it it was. Things we do for love. Exactly. Exactly. And. I wouldn't give any of those times back, man. Those were so much fun. And yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you see bands that, that tour in buses. And well, you guys have done enough of those tours. You guys have toured with what, Jimmy Eat World? And, and I didn't know you toured with Social Distortion. Or I guess you just did some shows. Or was that a whole tour? Yeah, that was that was a whole tour. I think it was oh 22 God. days or something like that. But uh, that was early on because Time Bomb, uh, Time Bomb Recordings uh, also did Rebel Waltz Management who managed social distortion. So they, you know, they kind of got us out there in front of people, okay. not realizing that the people that really, really enjoy social distortion hate us. I don't think we sold one CD. We got yelled at a lot. We got a lot of stuff thrown at us. It was, it was pretty, uh, wow. It was pretty insane. Man. <laughs> and it was our first, it, all, all we had at the time was our first record, which is kind of our most, weirdly jarring uh you know chipmunk 
with his nuts in a garlic press kind of singing and I don't know. <laughs> so it was it was a hard sell and nobody bought it. So But you guys had a blast. Oh yeah, it was great. That's killer. I mean yeah. that's what's crazy. You guys have toured with these bigger bands and it, I just don't understand why it didn't take off. Like it the music is so good. It's one of those things I I've talked about before on the show, like a band's band where like there's bands like I guess if they stick it out long enough, they start to get their like like um uh we're talking like like the Deftones when the Deftones started out and no one cared and but except you'd all see all these bands and huge bands backstage at these shows uh-huh. and no one commercially no one cared and then finally it clicked and then they became huge. But there's a, yeah. there's all sorts of bands out there that were just like the the super influential bands like the go-to records for people that um uh, like like the thrice guys like big band you look in their in their ipods or their cd booklets you're gonna have all the no knife records you know and that's gonna be uh-huh. consistent because it's good well, I, and it's just i think it's a trade-off from living in san diego like okay here's a here's a beautiful climate and a wonderful environment and you know sandy beaches and mm-hmm. whatever but being from San Diego, uh, playing the type of music that, that we enjoy and that we do, nobody's ever going to take you seriously or even give it a listen until maybe years later, somebody will find it in the mm-hmm. cutout bin, you know, and be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. So, it was always like that. <laughs> How was the reception touring with Jimmy Eat World? Did you guys do a couple tours with them or did you just do one? Yeah, we did a bunch with them. Um, we started, uh, Jim Adkins just posted something on Instagram the other day, and it was a flyer of uh, Jimmy World, No Knife, and then two other bands. And I think they were, we were playing in somewhere in Arizona, and it was $3. Whoa. <laughs> and we did, we did a whole bunch of, we did a bunch of tours with them when we were, you know, pretty much the same level or something like that. And then Clarity happened, and boom, yeah. they took off. So, and then we did, uh, they took us out with them uh, once or twice after that, too. And the the size of the shows uh, was considerably larger. You guys do so better really on merch fun. at those shows and fit in better with that crowd? By, by that time, by that time, yeah. And and that crowd, yeah. Okay. It, it did a lot better, so. But we toured, we toured with, I mean, all kinds of weird stuff, like, not not whole tours, but we'd do a couple of days with the Jesus Lizard or Rock oh, from the Crypt yes. or, you know, the Red Ants or Heroic Doses. Like, it was just really, really all over the map. So, and then our, our I think the biggest tour for us, the most successful, um, was with Sunny Day Real Estate. It was just us two. And we did five weeks all over the U.S. and um, parts of Canada. And I, I think people were most receptive then, and then the very last tour was with Cursive. Okay. And by that by that time, it's just <laughs> everything was just falling apart. Yeah. You know? What happened there? Like what? What? I mean, I I would assume it's it's just from you know exhaustion and everything else. But like what what came? What I guess what kind of started the end, and and how did things end with No Knife? Like, um, I. I think it was a lot of uh, we had been touring solidly for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Every time we put out, you know, a record like Hitman Dreams, we thought like, okay, cool. 
people will understand and like it and get behind it and then fire in the city, same thing. And then riot, same thing. Nobody really, nobody really responded to it until two or three years after it was out. So by the next, by the time the next record was coming out, people were going like, Oh, by the way, I like that last record. And you're like, okay, cool. (laughs) But, but also it was, you know, I was working three jobs. Everybody was going back to school and uh, it just uh, every everything just kind of splintered. So after after a while, we just couldn't keep it going anymore. We we're just and you know, there's stupid, petty, um, you know, personalities within yeah. the bands that yeah. are having conflicts and stuff like that. So so it finally just you know, I, we never officially announced it. We were just we were just like. Uh, let's not practice for a while, <laughs> you know. Okay. Plus, we had you know legal trouble, you know, as far as we had a manager that we found out a couple years later didn't pay any of our taxes. So all of a sudden, we owed the IRS taxes, and we're like, I oh can't even God. afford my phone bill. Yeah, I keep I keep coming back to my phone bill, but I had really high <laughs> phone bills back then. So. All that long distance. I know. God, it's a thing so. of the past. Thank God. Well, the oh, phone card at the payphone, dude. Yeah, trying to trying to call home and talk to your girlfriend <laughs> or something like that. You know, in the middle of Nebraska or whatever. Oh my God! Did you guys make it over to Europe with No Knife, or was it all U.S. touring? No, we did. We did two tours of Japan. Oh um, man. In two thousand one and two thousand three. How was that? And those. Oh, it was great. Um, it was. It was like being dropped on Mars as far as, like, I can't read any of the signs. I don't understand the language at all. But everybody there, um, really passionate, really super friendly, super technically proficient. Like, you, I'm, I'm used to touring the United States where you show up at a club, and if you do get a sound check at all, you show up, you, you maybe get through half a song, maybe one song, and they're like, that's good. But here, uh, or in Japan, they they wanted to do like six songs and get everything perfect, and you know they had a crew of people and make it sound great, and it was it was so strange. And then afterwards, everybody'd go to izakaya, and you know you're just drinking and eating and meeting people and learning about bands. We went uh, we went over both times with this band called Nine Days Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Aoki from Dim Mock Records, yeah. uh, he had he had put their stuff out, and he put out he put out our fire on vinyl uh, for the Japanese release, so so that we could go over there and have something to sell and things like that. And uh, man, it was it was just great, amazing people, and wonderful shows. People people would sing along even if they didn't know the words. Just a, I don't know, it was just a really encouraging atmosphere. Man, so I, I liked it, it a lot there. Over here. <laughs> I know. The US is tough. Yeah. The US is tough. If anybody asks I usually just like it's really it's really hard. Like do the East Coast, West Coast pockets of the Midwest. And it it sucks, but try to go to Europe or something and then come back and do the US because then people give a shit more for some reason yeah we did we did europe and it was hey uh if you're sticking around long enough you know come back tomorrow morning on your way out of town my grandma will be here making you breakfast at the venue like 
we yeah. love having you. Like here's and here's all this amazing food and and there's a band apartment upstairs you can stay in or or here yeah. they're just so glad and grateful that you're there. And then yeah. you come back and it's here's your pizza asshole. Like try not to fuck up the toilet. You know, like it's spaghetti again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little Caesars again. Like it's right. Uh, You're like these, these are meatballs and half the guys are vegetarians. Like <laughs> we can't even eat it. <laughs> I guess they, you guys just have to eat the noodles. You know. Yeah. Hopefully it wasn't cooked simmered in the meat sauce for you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's really yeah, it was... eye opening coming back from there. I can only yeah. imagine Japan. I've never been, and I would love to go there. But uh, yeah, that's. And I would I would recommend it. God. I I wonder what it's like touring now. You know, with like we we had a cell phone and it was like the size of a brick and had a long plastic antenna. Yeah. Like toward towards towards nearing the end, like we got one just for emergencies, and then we hit a bull elk in Utah somewhere. And we're like, okay, well, we got this phone. We can call for a tow truck or some help or something. <laughs> no service, no of nothing. Course. It was a complete waste. Oh my but God. now it's, you know, now everybody's got their Instagram stories and their Facebook page and their, I don't know. Yeah, something goes got wrong. A computer you can just in post your phone, it real in your quick. pocket. Yeah, who can, you can just post anything like, hey, uh, we need a place to stay tonight. Send us yeah. someone to stay with, yeah. and like, bam, fifty people reply instead of <laughs> putting a sign at the merch table saying, "Hey, yeah. you want a free shirt? Let us crash on your floor." We used to just say it from stage. We're like, "Hey, we've come from a long way. We won't mess up your shower. <laughs> can, <laughs> can can we stay at anybody's house tonight?" And oh. that that's when touring actually got a lot more fun because you'd meet people from each town and make friendships and. Oh yeah, you know, listen, listen to the the regional. Like this is what's going on in our city. You know, mm-hmm. the stuff you can find then, out anywhere now from right. like a generic source. But when you hear yeah. it from the people, when you're actually there, that's the way it's supposed to be absorbed. I think, yeah. and, man, and less homogenized that way too. Yeah, we did. We, we, we I'm trying to remember where we drove from. Somewhere in the Midwest to Jersey for the first time, and the first time we got out in, we literally got out of the van. Everyone mm-hmm. was saying "awesome" like that, and it was like, "Where are awesome. we? What is it? Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome." Yeah, where? What's happening? That was our first time. Oranges. It was like, oh, yeah. weird stuff. Weird stuff like that, like a time capsule. Like, just wait, wait. Who are you? What? <laughs> yeah, but, I love that though. Yeah, it's an adventure for sure, and you find out who you're made of or what you're made of. You know, like you find out you can fix something on an automobile. Maybe you're not a mechanic, but you can figure it out. You know, you can figure out how to live on a $3 a day per diem, you know, like you can, I was just, I was just reading the grapes of wrath and, uh, they're talking about driving West to California and how like a belt broke. So they'd fix it with a piece of rope. And I was like, been there, been there. We, we had to walk a van down a hill once uh, going through the Redwoods in California because the brakes heated up so hot that they would, uh-huh. this was like our first van. And we literally yeah. had to have our manager stepping on the brakes and like easing it down this steep hill while all of us held into window, like the window uh, panels. Oh, my God. To walk it down the hill just to get it to where it could stop. That would not be my favorite thing. Dude, it was and no, fucking crazy. And nobody knows that when you get to the show and play. No. You know, nobody knows any of that. They're just like, this band sucks. When are they going to be done? <laughs> and that was a living room show we were trying to get to in some kid's uh-huh. house in Eureka, California. Wow. It was fucking crazy. Like, it was. Was the show good? Yeah, the show was great. That was the thing. Nice. Like, even when you played for no people, you weren't in the van 
you were moving around and like doing what you're supposed to be doing instead yeah. of killing. I've always talked about like touring musicians are professional time wasters because you have 23 hours a day that you're not playing music that you're out there to do you're just buying time until you can play yep. or get home now everybody's just on their phone all day i bet yeah but back sure then it was like reading books and doing schoolwork and you know yeah. whatever yeah. all those guys did schoolwork i never did that <laughs> <laughs> get to a town early you just find a park somewhere and just lie around or play frisbee or whatever i mean you did stuff yeah yeah wow. we started we started trying to do tours like that like after fire in the city um, I think we did one with, uh, Jimmy world and lazy cane and us, and we would try to schedule days off like, Oh, it's my birthday. And we're close to Lake Champlain. Let's go camping, you know, and we'd just go roll our sleeping bags out, you know, under a lean to, and I would just sit there and drink beer and wait for champ, the, you know, Lake Champlain monster to turn up, dude, that's, you know, awesome. but there, there were always things like that. And we, it I think that was mostly Chris's idea, the drummer. Um, and it was kind of like, well, let's let's route it this way so that we can go on these weird water slides or go through Moab or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And when friends move away, it's not a big deal because, hey, I'll see you in a couple months. Like, yep. dude, I'll be there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All those experiences you can't, I mean, it's so great to those little moments like that. Where you have like yeah. just a, and and everything means so much more to you when you get a good meal or a, a warm bed or a nice a, a bed in general. I mean, yeah. you appreciate it so much that people think you're weird when you get home and you're just like, oh, like everything's just great. Like there's food in the fridge and and I have a, a futon at least to sleep on. You know, right. it's, people think you're fucking crazy. Yeah, and you've also a been on freeze. Yeah, a private toilet. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, you don't have to have your roommate. Uh, stand in front of the door to block it off for you for whoever's coming in there you know like it's, that's yeah. yeah being able to yeah use the bathroom being sick being sick on the road is the worst we uh-huh. you can't get comfortable when you're at home and you get sick you're just like oh perfect timing just bring it on yeah bring on the food yeah. bring on whatever it is i'll take it <laughs> yep i had food poisoning really really bad one time and uh it just i didn't have any health insurance. I went to the hospital in Seattle after about the fourth day of just being very, very, very sick in a disgusting way. Um, and they were like, do you have insurance? And I was like, no. And they said, take Maalox. Good luck. And then they sent me a bill for 200 bucks. And, uh, but st- we still had to play the shows cause we had to make the money to get to the next town. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of thing. So, you know, you're in the bathroom and then you come out and you play the show like hunched over because your stomach hurts so bad mm-hmm. and try to make it through as many songs as possible and then book it back for the bathroom or the van or something <laughs> get the bucket and or what they say uh, they say mike watt used to tie his pant legs off if he had the shits or something to just go on stage <laughs> have you ever seen that that uh I, it's gabe serbian and I think they're playing at bottom of the hill in San Francisco. I'm not sure, but he had the flu really bad. So he just had a bucket by the drum kit and they would play their songs. Luckily their songs were really short. Yeah. And then, and they'd throw up in the bucket and then they'd, he'd be like, okay, I'm good. And then they'd play the next song. I have not seen that. Well, I've talked, he's coming on the show too. He's one of the most powerful drummers I've ever seen. Uh, that, that makes total he's, sense. He's amazing. And he's a, he's an amazing human too. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm I'm looking forward to that one too. And and uh, 
Man, well, what, Mitch? What are you? I mean, this is I've I've loved this chat, dude. I've it's been something I'm looking forward to because, like I say, I love your music. It's it's amazing, and Thank it's, you. It, what you've done is a classic in my mind, and it's literally, I mean, it's it's up there in those lists with the clarities and the the, um, you know, my top lists. No knife is always there. And that means a lot to me, and that means a lot to us because at the time it, it didn't seem like anybody really. I, I mean, they're like, yeah. Whatever. So oh. it, it's nice to hear that it, that it had an impact, you know, at some point. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And thank you for, for, for all you've given me, you know, like so many hours of, of enjoyment, you know, like in, in awful situations and great situations, like, and like I say, every morning when I turn my car on, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, your music has had such, I mean, there's been countless times I've sat there on the couch or in the van or whatever, you, you know, and and say say just to throw it out again, the spy comes on. I will literally just close my eyes, and when that lighter hits and everything like every it's everything mm-hmm. about it, like even I forgot about the lighter. The lighter. Well, it seems like, and I might be crazy here, but it seems like there's that noise in the background, and then mm-hmm. the and the lighter starts, and that's the tempo uh-huh. of the drums when they come in. So it almost counts in the song because the drums yeah. come out of nowhere. That was. Um, our first album, guess. we had an instrumental called um, At the Heart of the Terminal, mm-hmm. and we start that one with uh, my stepdad's travel alarm clock and then and then a lighter on that one as well. Okay. that's what That makes sense because – and so like I – and I would just listen to that song over and over again and just like almost just transcend like wherever I was and it just took me out of – Whatever situation, even if it was a good situation, I would just focus in on that. And then, I mean, just the grooves and the percussive guitars, and just like there was so much to it. And uh, I mean, it's just great stuff. And so, I we got a few minutes left, but I wanted to I wanted to to talk about what are you doing now? Now, um, I I haven't been playing music much anymore. I work. Um, I'm actually talking to you from the studio where I work. Um, I work. It's called Hay House mm-hmm. Radio. It's an internet radio station. Uh, there's a publishing company called Hay House, and they do like Wayne Dyer and Marianne Williamson. And, you know, it's kind of like new age, uh, self-help, uh, psychic mediums, animal spirit guides, you know, things like that. Okay. So uh, I'm an engineer here. Um, I After after No Knife, uh, there was a little while where I was learning how to record, and I recorded um, – I would just like record bands for free and do two or three songs. And I ended up doing a couple records for like, uh, Iradio and the Dabbers and jungle fever. And then Brian and I had another band that was sort of like, like a tones on tail, throbbing gristle, Roxy music, the glove kind of, kind of goth pop band. Okay. <laughs> and, and that was called lunar maps. And, uh, we recorded that all ourselves. I mixed it. Um, and then we just put it out on vinyl and CD, uh, just like 300, but we just did it all ourselves just to do it. I always wanted to do a record like that was, that was more, um, just really, I, I worked at a bar for a while and I'd be sitting there on a Sunday night and there'd be nobody in there and I'd just be playing, you know, really dark, somber, you know, the cure joy division, mm-hmm. you know, things, things that I grew up on that I like. And this disco ball would just be spinning around on the black walls and black ceiling. And I just, I wanted a record that I could play there in that environment or that it was, it was like 
when you get home and it's, you know, four o'clock in the morning or something and you want to keep the party going and you put this record on, yeah. you know, I don't know. I know exactly <laughs> so, what you're talking so we about. Did, yeah, we did, we did something like that. So we put the record out and then they wanted to play live. I didn't really want to play live. It was kind of a six piece band and a lot of, a lot of keyboards. So it's like a lot of plugging in. It was like, it was like 45 minutes to set up for a 25 minute <laughs> set or something. So, but we, we played like six shows or something and then it just, it got, it was so unwieldy and I, I just wanted to make a record like that. Mm-hmm. So we did that. It was, it was me and Brian, the bass player from No Knife, did that. And then when I was done with that, it was mostly just recording. And um, I got married, had a son. And so now I'm just <laughs> just working the, the studio here. Okay. And I've been here for, I've been here for 10, almost 11 years now. But now uh, I don't play music as much. I play it at home. And my son's learning how to play guitar, and like we're playing stuff together. He really likes David Bowie and awesome. Radiohead and T Rex and things like that. So we, you know, we play. He teaches me songs that he learned from his guitar <laughs> teacher. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, I've been doing uh, photography a lot over the past couple of years. Uh, a girlfriend of mine, uh, Brandy Bell, we started this thing uh, called Strangers in a Fire. And it's what? How do I like nude projection photography? Okay. If you look at the on Instagram, it's just strangers in a fire. Okay. And it's it's just like bodies with projections and multiple exposures and just you know art photography. Okay. Because I always wanted to learn photography and that that was going for a couple of years and now um, I've changed it into I've started making music videos for bands. Oh, okay. Uh, so because. And it, it's the same, it's kind of the same way, like a lot of YouTube uh, tutorials and a lot of just getting out there and doing it. Mm-hmm. But like I have a Vimeo page and it's, I think it's vimeo.com slash lunar maps. And that's, it's got all the videos I've done so far. And so far it's, it's keeping me busy in my spare time. Not that I have a lot of spare time. So. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in every couple of years or something, uh, an opportunity will come along like like this one for the Jawbox show, mm-hmm. and and we'll get back together. Ryan has to fly in because I think he lives in Salt Lake City now, and then we'll get back together and we'll figure out which songs we can pull off. Like you know, I I can't possibly sing high enough for Mission Control now. Uh-huh. Oh, also, uh, we used to tune up a half step to F, really? and then you know F A sharp D sharp you know G sharp. And that's, that kind of might contribute to why the guitars sounded more like percussive or singing or because mm-hmm. the strings are just tighter. <laughs> yeah. Really shimmery. Like the, the, um, yeah, that's great. But lately that's we've high. had to tune back down to E cause I can't, I can't hit any of those notes anymore. <laughs> Too much, um, self abuse yeah. for that sort of thing. So, man, what's going to, what's going to, what's for sure going to be on the set list for, for this show? That you could say hands down. The, I can tell you what's not going to be on the yeah, set do list: that. That's Mission Control. Mission Control. Which is, I I love playing Mission Control. That song came out of nowhere after uh-huh. a long time of trying to figure it out. We had all the we had all the tracks recorded, but no vocals until the very last day of recording, and then something just 
popped into my head and I just wrote it. It was like automatic writing. I went in there and tracked it twice. And those are the vocal tracks that you hear. You know, it was, it was one of those songs that, you know, you know, like when a song comes through you and, Mm -hmm. and it gives you that feeling that it's pretty much the reason you play music, like makes the back of your neck hairs stand up. You're just like, Whoa, what was that? But Alas, I can't, I can't sing that high anymore. So, um, probably like our favorites to play. I don't know what people like to listen to, but our favorites to play are things like Academy flight song, the spy, um, charades, um, your albatross, uh, riot for romance. That one's such a, that one's so easy to go off the rails on that one. And Uh it does about half the time, but (laughs) We love playing it, so we just do it anyways. Dude, and the red bedroom. I'm tr- oh, the red bedroom, absolutely. Oh, these, so. see, I can, I can tell you like where I was when I heard these songs. Like, I, it's one of these things that imprints on you. I, I really believe that with music. That's amazing, and that that honors me. Thank you, <laughs> dude. Seriously, and it's like I say, it's it's something that's music's been in me my whole life. But uh-huh. there's certain certain bands that stand of course stand out more than others and ones that actually i think imprint on you where where you were at and you can go back to you know i can go back to that basement on 112th and powell in portland oregon where i got home i got home on the bus from second Uh avenue records went down pulled the plastic completely off uh fire in the city automatons and put it on on my record player that i just bought like i just i bought a record player because i wanted to get into vinyl and uh, that was the first one I put on. I bought that, and I bought um, oh, what was the other that's band? Crazy. It was um, uh, not fair. Fairweather. Fairweather was the other record mm-hmm. I bought. And then, um, anyways, so I put it on, and I can still smell that smell. I can see the room. Like it's it's stuff like that that is really special to me because it literally yeah. anytime I want to go back to that place, all I got to do is put on that record. And close my eyes, like I'm there, and that's, that's where it's it's that's just the best awesome. thing about music. It's it so is good. It is. It's very special and very. I mean, it's just a uh, uh, it's a magical thing. And it uh, is truly, yeah, I I appreciate Mitch everything that you've put out that has touched me and and you know countless other people. Thank you. Regardless of when it hit them, you know, maybe it was three years after the record came out, like you were saying, like. But it still hit them, and it's still important. You know what I mean, and and that's something that I'm forever grateful to you for. Thank you yeah. to 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 make somebody feel the way that I felt about so many songs and bands, and just want to pass it along. That's that's great to to make to make someone passionate about music. Absolutely, it's the best. And I can play it for my kids now, like and and it's the same thing. You know, it just keeps going down the line. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really special, and so man, I appreciate you so much, and and appreciate uh, you coming on the show and and talking tour stories and and uh, humoring humoring me fun. for an hour, and and uh, man, it's been real special. So I I really appreciate it, Mitch. Thanks, I appreciate it too. All right, brother. Well, uh, I'll let you get back to your your well, get to your early evening here, and uh, and get on with things. But uh, yeah, appreciate it, man. All right, cool. Thanks. All right. Um, also. Uh, I'll hit stop and then I'll just send you um, the wave file. Do you do you want? I've got it recorded as a stereo file, but I can split it up into two separate files if it's easier, or I can just do both. Uh, yeah. What do you prefer? Both is fine. I, mean, I just use GarageBand. 
Um, uh-huh. And so, yeah, whatever's whatever's easier for you um, works for me. Well, I figure the way I'm figuring it is uh, your voice is going to sound better on your end. Yeah. But not on this end. So maybe I'll just... I guess I, I guess I'll just send you the stereo one, and then I'll just send one of just mine, so that you can just kind of lock it in and know where it is in relation to, you know, the wave file and stuff like that. Perfect, perfect, man. Cool. Thank you. so Thank much, you, dude. Mitch. This is this was amazing. I I appreciate it so much, dude. Absolutely, my pleasure, man. And- All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mitch Wilson from No Knife. Uh, fantastic dude. A great musician. Super, super influential on me in music, and, you know, I can't say enough about that band. They are so good. Um, You know, I really hope they come back and do more stuff. Um, I've never gotten to see them live, which is sad, and and, uh, hopefully I'll get to. And and, uh, I just want to hear The Spy live. That song is just one of my favorite songs, probably my top ten of all time. So, anyways, guys, uh, I hope everyone's having a great week. Uh, Shout out to the Thrice guys for the turning me on to no knife for also you know being some of my first guests on the podcast and helping me along and uh yeah shout out to ed they're on tour right now he's probably listening to this episode in the bus or doing whatever they're doing um but hopefully they're having a great tour and uh i love you boys and thank you for listening and and supporting the show um you know i know ed was excited for this episode and i don't know how i misplaced it on that hard drive but anyway uh, that's not important. It is important. What is important is that it's out now. So shout out to the thrice guys. Thank you very much. Shout out to Mitch Wilson. Thank you for all your musical contributions, um, you know, and influencing me in such a cool way. And, uh, as always guys, we'll see you on the radio. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel 
They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.